Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. When you call 911, the expectation is that you're in trouble and you need help right now. One of the worst things that can happen if you call 911 and the lady says to you, can you just hold on for a minute? No, no, I called 911. I need help now. Or it's bad when they say, we'll be there right away. And then they're not there right away. I have known people to call 911 and they never came. It is very frustrating when there's a number out there that says help will be on the way and you call that number and the help's not there. It's very frustrating because you've leaned in a direction that's told you I've got nothing for you. A lot of times as we go through life, there are people who give us the impression, man, I got your back, but you so far back away from me, I can't feel you. The help, it seems distant. Nothing like you ever, you had a, ever had a financial crisis and somebody in your life says, man, I'm gonna help you, whatever you need. And he was like, wow, you feel blessed. But somehow they never really come and meet the need? Has that ever happened to anybody? They told you that? It's frustrating, isn't it? Today, I believe the text that we're going to deal with in reaching the city is going to deal with getting the need met, not just by the need meter, but by those who are assigned to meet needs on earth. Help is on the way. And what if I told you that you're the help that God is calling for? Let's turn to uh, second... Corinthians 9, verse, starting at verse 1. Can you put it on the screen for me? We're going to read verse 1 to 5. When you have it, say man. Ready? Read. See? Just say you didn't know the word. Just skip it. That's what you do when you're reading the scripture and you don't know how to say it. Just say, just, I'm going to skip that one. Let's start over. Superfluous. Yeah, I said it right. No, I didn't. Dave, will you say it, Mr. Genius? Dr. Dave, say it. Say the word. Superfluous. Lewis. Yeah, see, he just, he, he, he from a different part of the country. We just don't, tomato, tomato. Say it your way, Dave. <laughs> All right, ready? And just skip it if you can't figure it out. Read.
yeah, we got to work on that. Uh, it's unnecessary, Paul is saying, for me to talk to you about the, this ministry service or this gift of giving or the needs of what's going on in Jerusalem church. I want you to know the Jerusalem church was going through hard times from its very beginning. Uh, it was under persecution and then there was famine that hit. Um, people were having a hard time. They needed some help. Paul was one of those people who got the 911 call and realized that he needed to do something to help the first century church. And so he started doing all he could to organize an offering and try to get everybody to get resources there to the part of the city or the part in the region that needed help. He wasn't just helping those who are on the outside because sometimes when we see people on the outside of the, the church or the family of God, it's easier to help them because they seem to be more in need. I want you to see that he was helping people on the inside of the church. And there's a level of fellowship and camaraderie that should happen on the inside of the church where we should bear one another's burdens, where we should see what's going on in each other's life. When you call for help, the person closest to you should be able to respond uh, to you. You don't always need to come to the front of the room to receive prayer or ministry. There's somebody sitting right next to you by divine design that can help you with what's going on in your life if something's going on. Dial a 911 and you got immediate help when you comes to the body of Christ. Paul is trying to remind everybody, hey, there are some people in Jerusalem who sent out the 911 call. And he's saying, when it comes to the Corinthians, I like you guys. I don't have to stir you up. You've got your own zeal. You've got your own happiness. And this word zeal means to bubble over with enthusiasm, to bubble over with passion. You just feel good about what God's got going on. You're not hearing about the gift. You're not hearing about the need to give something and saying, here we go. You're hearing about it and say, yes. We've got to help our brothers. Yes, we've got to help our sisters. Yes, we've got to lift up the church. I think one of the things that can happen in the body of Christ, that if you see someone in need holding up their 911 sign and you look at them long enough and you don't actually respond to their request for help, eventually you no longer see them. They become like a signpost. They're on the road, but you don't see them as a human and you don't see them as in need. But if we, I, I had the privilege of working at the SOS Crisis Center from 19 to 20 years old, and, and I was working there, and I realized that the people who were homeless and the people who were needing help during cri uh, crisis were people with doctorate degrees, master's degrees, functional members of society who came into some type of peril. And it was something simple, like they missed the paycheck, they got laid off or whatever, and they found themselves in the street. Sometimes when we look at the person that's given the 911 side, we make a judgment call as to how did they get there? Why did they get there? And it somehow turns off us to help. See, this message today is not about the great need that Jerusalem had, the great need that Dixon had, the great need that's in the world. This is about the people who are on the other end of the 911 call, who are supposed to be the help that's on the way. Now, I hope that I'm not desensitized, but I know that I am. I, I, I think that people, in some regards, have become invisible to me. And I believe that they would become visible if I actually knew their story. When's the last time that you just did a little check? You know, first of all, I don't want to make you feel bad. That's why I'm talking about me. Um, when's the last time you did a little check 
And instead of assuming that you figured it out, you asked the story of just one of the person every now and then. It might change how you respond or the lack thereof. Now, now these people were so excited about helping out somebody in the faith that they couldn't wait to do it. But Paul said, I got one problem. Y'all ain't done nothing yet. It's a lot of people who can, when they hear about saying, you know what we need to do? We need to build this. We need to go there. We need to, we need to take care of that. I, I've, I've got it. But they said all of the stuff, but they didn't do anything. Paul is saying, I've been telling everybody about the Corinthians. I had already visited the Macedonians. They were the poor people who have already given to Jerusalem. They've already done, done all of their work. They've done all the good stuff. Now I'm here at the Corinthian church. You know y'all got the stuff. You got all the res you have all the resources. And so what I want you to do is really give. And they said, we got you. The only problem is they didn't do anything yet. The 911 call went out and it's already been 15 minutes. They're not there. It's already been an hour. They're not there. We're going on a day in a few weeks and we're already in trouble because the 911 call went out and the offering is being collected and it's gonna take us over a year to get it, all, all the resource to the people. Every delay is really a mess up. Help is on the way. And then he says, you guys need to do this different. He says, I want you to arrange, I'm gonna send some people and I want you to arrange to give your gift now. So when I get there, you can give me the gift in advance that you promised is ready and not an exaction. First uh, Corinthians, put First Corinthians 16 up there for me. This is whenever Paul, whenever Paul went somewhere, what he was telling the people they needed to do is they needed to go to, uh, they needed to deal with the offering he was asking for like this. He is asking for an offering. He's not asking for their tithe. He's not asking for them to uh, give their bill money. How do you know? He said, I want you to arrange this gift. I want you to get this gift in order. Um, a lot of times it's hard to respond to someone's need when your own life is upside down. You know, my wife's not going to agree with what I'm about to say, but it's hard for me to study when, when the house is not clean. I didn't say my closet because she's she probably saying, your closet's not clean, but it is, I can't see my closet. So I'm not talking about the closet, you know. I'm not, see, that's why, don't, don't touch, it's, it's all right. I'm just told, I'm told the truth for myself. Okay, so, but it's hard for me to think when stuff is out of order. Anybody else like that? Don't look at me like you're not like that. I am in my heart. <laughs> anyway, so, so in other words, you, you know what's designated for God as your first fruits offering, your tithe, your first tenth. It goes to the storehouse of God. It goes to the church of God. Your taxes, you shouldn't give away your tax money. God is not asking you got, you got a tax bill due and you hear about a need in the church. I'm going to give that money. No, that's your tax money. Don't do that. Then you have agreed with your mortgage company to, or, your, or, your, or your landlord. You want to pay them. Don't forget your lights. Now, then you get some optional categories. I don't drink Starbucks, but I hear the Starbucks drinkers. Y'all spend a lot of money. How much? Just throw me a figure out there. Hmm? 200. 50 a week? Wow. He, he is. That's Starbucks. You're drunk. 
50 a week. All I'm trying to say is, we all, in order to know what you can, what capacity you have to give time, talent, or treasure, you have to have your life in order. Or when you hear the 911 call, you won't be help on the way, you'll be help contemplating. Well, do they want us to go? I wonder if somebody else got the call. You know, they'll probably be all right. You know, I'll get the next one. I'm just not ready now. You know, I'm on break. I'm relaxing. You know, I, I, I care. And you can talk about it. But the Jerusalem church needs us to be about it. And when we're going to do the work of God, that's what we need to do. He said, when I come, I don't want it to be an exaction. You know, and I don't, I don't want to, oh, I didn't read that scripture. First Corinthians 16, one says, now concerning the collection of the saints, this is the offering he's collecting to the churches of Galatia. Uh, uh, here's what I direct you to do. So you also are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and, and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. In, order, in other words, Paul is saying, you should have your life in a position where you can receive the call to help and be on the way. And you need to prepare for this. Uh, many of us, you, I not want to get into your personal finances, but one thing that might help is when you have a f fund, just like you have your entertainment fund, your food fund, you know, your, your, your bill pay account, you want to have an opportunity to be benevolent. And so if you prepare for it, You'll be ready. So when somebody says, hey, we need you to give, you're not thinking, well, I don't have nothing. You prepare. You prepare. And that's what they did. So it doesn't be an exaction. You know what, I, what the church should never be? I said this two weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. He said, we don't want an exaction. In other words, the church should never be the IRS. For those of you who have never known, if you don't pay the IRS, you know what they'll do to you? Yeah, somebody said they'll take everything. They will come and take it straight out of your account. Because they're saying that's ours. You just held, it on, held on to it for us. Your creditors, they're going to call you till you pay. For those of you who grew up and you didn't have to have a creditor calling you, they don't call you once and you just say, well, you know, I don't have it. They say, that's fine. They say, we'll be calling you back tomorrow till you get it. You better call Aunt JoJo and Uncle Julio and somebody and let's get it together. So it's not that. You know, when you make a bad decision, God is not going to send Uncle Paulie to your house. You know, Uncle Paulie, he'll break your leg. You know, no, it's none of that. Paul is trying to say, I want you to give. I want you to come on and get together and give, but I'm not going to get into forcing you to do anything. Nothing about God is about forcing you to do anything. It's appealing to you. To see how it thinks. Let's read verse uh, six. Read this for me, verse six. Ready? Read. Keep going. Eight.
I wanted 12 too, but it's okay. Um, he said, if you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. God has a law. It's the law of reciprocity. Be not deceived, Galatians says. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. As he sows to his flesh or his own selfish desires of his flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the, to the spirit of the spirit, reap eternal life. When you give to God, he'll give back to you, pressed down and shaken together, running over. He'll cause men to give unto your bosom. If you put one seed in the ground, you'll get multiple seeds back so you can sow. There's something in the psychology of people that says, if I give you my time, it won't be enough for me. If I give you all of my treasure, it won't be enough left for me. And there's this thing that tells you to hold on that's a natural response instead of being liberal and just lean in or, 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 or to give. Give. He has given you a promise that there's no way, don't be deceived, if you participate like this, he'll give you like this. He said, no man having left for my sake, father, mother, sister, brother, land, cattle, for the gospel should receive in this life a hundredfold of all these things. Or in other words, God will sub super abundantly supply for you as you supply for his kingdom because he will be no man's debtor. He says, when you give to me, however... I don't want you to do it grudgingly. I don't want you to do it out of necessity. God loves a cheerful gift. To give grudgingly, you know, back in the day to, in, 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 when they were giving in the Jewish temple, or when they were giving in the beginning, there would be two categories. That which was already assigned to be given to the temple, it had one vessel you give into, and then that was your, and the next vessel was your alms giving. One was an uh, uh, a requirement. One was a have to. One is what you're supposed to do. The other was a work of your heart. God loves the works of the heart. God loves the cheerful giver. God loves the person who's happy about what they have to do. Not saying, oh. no, let me rephrase that. Happy about the privilege of what they get to do for God. It's not a have to. It's a want to. You know, I grew up in the faith tradition when, when, when uh, they would say it was offering time, the church would go crazy. People would just start, you know, waving hankies and, 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 and getting excited. And everybody would walk from the back of the room all the way to the front. And they would bring with joy and praise and a dance in their heart their gifts to the Lord. They didn't do this to be, do a show. They didn't do this so that somebody else can see them. They were showing their worship and their appreciation for all God has done for them and what he was doing. And sometimes I believe the part of worship becomes just some uh, going through the motions. I'm not saying that we need to do what I grew up doing, but it should be something this cheerful. You know, this word cheerful means to be hilarious, to be full of joy, to be full of cheer, to be full of happiness. You're not listening to opportunities to help the kingdom of God and send help on its way or hear about a need and it brings you down. They were hearing about a need and it was bringing them up. And here's the promise that came at the end of that. And God is able to cause all grace to abound towards you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, could uh, abound to every good work. Uh, that word sufficiency means also contentment. That means as you give to God, he'll give you contentment in all the other areas of your life. It's not like you give to God, I gave God $100, I want, I want 10000 back. I think that's an oversimplification of the principle that he's giving to us. 
God is saying that you're never going to lose by giving to me, ever. He said, and I can make grace show up in every area of your life. Because I'm going to tell you, you couldn't put value on a peace of mind. You can't. And he can give you that. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. He gives you peace. He gives you all of these other things. And so I want you to know there's a right way and a wrong way to give. So do it right. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it out of necessity. Do it cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. So bountifully. Don't, don't, don't uh, so sparingly. And God's grace will abound towards you. And then he will multiply your store of seed. In other words, God says, when you participate in this, I'm going to give you more. More so you can worship me more. More so you can give to me more. What I want to say this out loud. What this message is not is uh, give to get. Not that you shouldn't have an expectation that you'll get something from God when you give. He's just saying, do you know my nature is generous? Do you know that's why every time a seed is sown, it comes back multiplied seed? He's saying, I'm better than the seed sown. If you give to me, I'll give back to you. So it looks like God is not trying to take anything from us ever, but trying to give something to us, a blessing. Let's read the last part of this scripture together. Because um, it's four things, maybe I'll stop on each one, that are the benefits of this type of thinking. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service, this is the gift of giving, is not only supplying the needs of the saints. In other words, when you give, the need of the people is met. The provision they need, the people they need, the prayer they need. When you give, everything they need is met. Therefore, if you don't, the need is not met. He says in number two, he says it, it turns out to many thanksgivings to God. In other words, they begin to thank God for what's going on. Not you, not the church, not Paul, but this becomes a praise to God because it's something he's doing, not something that someone's done for you. And it's not that God doesn't use people, but the emphasis on this should bring people closer to God. Number three, the obedience of your confession, and let me just read it out of the scripture instead of my notes. He said, by their approval of this service, they will, be, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution from, for them and for all others. In other words, they know that you're in their family. They know you can be counted on. They know you want to advance the kingdom. They know that you, you're, you're being obedient to God. Finally, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. In other words, the fourth benefit is when you participate like this, you get prayer. So not only is the need met, not only does it turn into thanksgiving for God, not only does it prove that you are living like you should live as a believer or as a saint, the people that you're actually helping partner to pray for your life. And one of the things I think that is grossly mis uh, uh, underestimated is the power of prayer. 
and we all need prayer, and we all need somebody to pray for us. And if you really took an assessment, I hate to do this, but if you really took an assessment, how many people pray for you every day? And I, I just think that was so powerful that the partnership with them in prayer, I mean, uh, in, in, in pro providing provision, produced prayer. And finally says, verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. You know, at the end of the day, the greatest help that we all have received is Jesus Christ. I keep thinking about the Jerusalem church and how long it took for the very help that they asked for from humans to actually get to them. It took a long time. So how were they making it in the meantime? Well, because the God who can bring water from a rock was there. The God who can bring manna from heaven, the God that brings quail, the God that, that multiplies loaves of fish and bread, that miracle-working God, he was still there. And when you have Christ, you have everything. So I love that the scripture would end with the real inexpressible gift being Jesus Christ, and it almost diminishes what we contribute. In other words, God is going to do the work with or without us. We get the opportunity to participate with him, and it'll be great. He is the help we want, need. He is our 911. I want you to, be, to do a practical thing with me, and I want to restate to you as I conclude this message the 911 call and the help we need as a church. If you reach forward and you see back, there's a card that says reach the city. You don't have to necessarily give this card today. It's something I want you to hold in your hand and pray about and pray through. But I want you to take the card and I just want you to put your name and your email address and your number on it. Again, you can take this card home or you can give it today, it doesn't matter. But I, I just want you to hold that card. If you don't know what it looks like, just to make sure everybody, just. Oh, wave that at me, make sure you have it. Dave, since you're coming up, why don't you read what that says, walk us through this. So the, the big letters on the back says. My glasses is down there, but they Debbie's glasses, and I don't want to put, put no female glasses on in front of people. He didn't want to put those glasses on, just want to let you know what's going on. Thank you for praying about how God would use you as Bethel together we're reaching a city to touch the world. That's, that's the big letters. On the, on the front side, though, as we reach the city, God has opened an incredible door to plant a church in Dixon, Tennessee. He's already provided the building and the beginnings of a launch team. There's a little, there's somewhere, a little over 35 there meeting today. Right now, they're just having watch parties, not officially launched. They're watching on a TV. When we were there the other Monday night, I think we had 45 or so leaders who are splitting up into serve teams already. That's not... Uh, all those of you who are committing, that's who's there in Dixon. So we're, we're building towards something really exciting right now. We are believing that God will provide 125 prayer partners, 125 people to commit to attend, and to raise $250,000. Now, uh, is it all right if I say a little bit about the why? I think they need a why, not just a what. Dave, my mic went out, so you can say what Hey, look, say. look, I got all the power. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Why are we doing this? Statistically, the number one most effective way to guarantee that we reach lost people for Jesus Christ is to plant a church. Statistically, 
If you start planting a church, the evangelism temperature goes up, the recognition of the need goes up, a new community is reached, new networks are formed, more people come to Christ. That's the number one reason we're doing this, period. We know that that is what happens again and again, and we've watched it happen. We've watched it happen in Cincinnati, in, in, in Arizona, in New York, down in, in, in Louisiana, Murfreesboro, Clarksville, here in, in the greater Nashville area. We've watched that as we've worked in church planning, it, it does happen. Uh, along with that, statistically, if you fund a church plant and send people along with it, the chances of it succeeding go through the roof. If you just send a few people out, don't give them very many resources, the chances of it succeeding go into the basement. I don't need real statistics. I think it probably just makes common sense to you, doesn't it? That is statistically true. We could give you uh, studies and numbers all day long. It just makes sense. So churches plant churches, right? And so we are planting this church together. We're not asking you to turn this in today if you do already know what your commitment is. Some of you texted me this week, by the way. I got, I don't know, Pastor James might have received some texts. Some people saying, we're in, we're committed, we're, we're there. That's so exciting. And you can text us if you want. That's fine. We're happy to receive that. But this lets us know where you stand. If you want to give it today, you can put it in the tithe boxes at the back door here as you're walking out in the back. Uh, Pastor JT, can you just wave your hand back there? You see where Pastor JT is now? Point at that wooden box there so they can see it. There's another one on the reverse side right over here and one, a couple at the back right there by the sound booth where it says big letter give on it. You can just tear that off and drop it in there, but we're not asking you to do that today. What we're actually asking you to do is start praying. Our family will pray about this and talk about it. Pastor James' family will pray about this and talk about it. We're making our own commitments. We need people who will pray, people who will give, and people who will go. Pastor James, did you have anything else you want to say? All right. Would you stand with us? I wanted to make sure he had a chance to give a last word if he wanted to. But let me just end our service here in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of doing things that bring you glory in the world. Every single person in this room has done the opposite. At some point in time or another, we have taken our freedom to do things in the world that reduce your glory. But now, by your grace and mercy, you're giving us the privilege of a chance to do something in the world that increases your glory, that spreads your fame. We get a chance to be on the other end of a 911 call and say, we're on our way. We'll be there soon and to follow up with it. Lord, we ask that you would move right now. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts. For those of us who are being called to go, I know some are even considering changes of location of where they live. I know that's happening. What an amazing sacrifice on the altar to even be willing to consider that. Would you move, Holy Spirit, among those you are putting a finger on to be there in Dixon. And would you guide each of us to know, are we covenanting to pray? How much should we covenant to give? We want to be a part of your mission in reaching this city so that we can touch the world. Would you bless Bethel Dixon? Bless those who are watching right now and hearing the sound of my voice. I pray that you would touch them there in Dixon, give them an encouragement and an upsurge of joyful expectation, knowing that we are locking arms across that hour of distance. We're not separated in spirit. We're one in spirit, and we're united in mission and in purpose, and we're going to see the lost found for the sake of the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say it together. Amen.